The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by Alumni Ventures. Invest with confidence. Discover the power of venture investing with Alumni Ventures, America's largest venture firm for individual investors. Learn more at av.vc. Hello, my friend, and welcome to another episode of Negotiate Anything. Thanks for spending time with us today. It's listeners like you in 181 different countries that have made Negotiate Anything the most popular negotiation and conflict resolution podcast in the world. I'm your host, Kwame Christian. I'm a business lawyer, mediator, professor, and the director of the American Negotiation Institute. Before we get started, I have two quick questions for you. Is negotiation a critical part of what you do? Do you need to resolve conflict and persuade at work? If you answered yes to both of those questions, visit our website to learn more about our negotiation workshops. We've traveled the country working with professionals just like you, and we'd love to have the opportunity to work with you too. Check out the link in the description to learn more. Everyone, we have a special interview for you today because I am not going to be the host of this show. Our new communications and operations manager, Catherine Kanapke, is going to be the guest host for the podcast. And so I want to give you an opportunity to get to know a little bit about her. So what we're going to do is first have Catherine introduce herself, and then I will hand it over to her. So Catherine, thank you for joining us. How about you tell the audience a little bit about yourself and what you do? Thank you, Kwame. I'm really excited to take over the show today. Like you said, I'm Catherine. I am the communications and operations manager here at the American Negotiation Institute. But my background is as a psych nurse, and then I'm also a mediator. And I speak on negotiation for women. And really exciting, we have a new podcast coming out, the Ask with Confidence podcast, hosted by me, specifically for women. And that will be coming out in October. So I'm really excited. Fantastic. Yeah, we're excited to have you. The feedback, even though the podcast hasn't come out, it has been fantastic. People are really excited about it. Yeah, absolutely. And thank you so much to everybody that has reached out and provided fantastic topics about things that they want to hear and also for all the support and well wishes. All right, Kwame. So I'm done with you interviewing me. I'm going to take over. <laughs> and why don't you share with us what we were talking about today? Yeah. So when I go around the country and do these workshops, uh, something that keeps coming up is the the concern regarding emotion management. How do I manage my own emotions during these conversations? So the roadmap for today is first, we're going to talk about self-awareness. And then second, we're going to talk about the importance of adjusting your expectations. And then we will wrap up with what to do at the table. And for the people who stick around to the end, I have a bonus tip, something that I use that that really helps. Great. Well, I'm excited. So why don't you start in telling us about self-awareness? Yes. So when it comes to self-awareness, that is all about the ability to look inside yourself and get an understanding what it is that you are thinking and feeling and why you're thinking and feeling those things. And I think the best way to think about it is in terms of a metaphor of a map. So for people who say, hey, I want to learn how to control my emotions, they want to get to a level of emotional stability in the conversation. But imagine if you know the destination on the map, but you're unable to locate yourself on the map. You don't know where you currently are. So that's what self-awareness is. It's your ability to identify where you are on that cognitive map so you know what your current emotional state is. And then once you reach that level of awareness, that's the first step. And then you can work to adjust those emotions so you can be productive again. 
That's brilliant. I love that analogy of getting lost on a map because I think that's something that a lot of people have probably experienced. I know that I am lost without one. So what is something that we can do to get self-awareness? How do we do that? Yeah, so it takes a lot of introspection and it's really interesting. We all have emotions and (laughs) we all have had situations where emotions can get in the way, but it's not something that we've done a good job of teaching people in throughout our just general education. I know that I didn't learn that growing up. Did you learn that (laughs) in school? Well, as a nurse, we talk a lot about emotions, but I know that's not common for everybody to learn and it's usually it's not learning on your own level. It's kind of managing the emotions of somebody else or or looking at those emotions. So no, uh, I think there's a huge uh, stigma against emotions because it kind of goes into that frou-frou, woo-woo alternative atmosphere that a lot of people that make a lot of people uncomfortable. Yeah, I think we absolutely need to talk about it. Yeah. So first step with self-awareness is going through some introspection and kind of doing an emotions audit. Just and, and this is something that I suggest that we do just day to day in our everyday life, even when we are not feeling too badly. So what does normalcy feel like? What is this uh, nebulous normal that I'm trying to get to when I am feeling either angry, frustrated, sad, or mad during these conversations? When I get a better understanding of what normal feels like, then I can recognize deviations from that state of equilibrium. And so it says, so it's kind of like, okay, now I feel different. What made me feel different? Usually it's a stimulus. So either from the inside or from the outside, Uh, you know how sometimes (laughs) maybe I'm just talking about myself again, but I, sometimes I have thoughts that make me mad. Every, everything is fine. And then I just think about something. I'm like, well, I'm mad now, right? But I want to be able to recognize that. Oh, that is what upset me. That's why I'm feeling upset. Oh, something outside upset me. That's why I'm feeling upset. And the benefit of becoming more aware of those triggers is that it helps you to kind of take prophylactic cognitive measures. So something happens. Oh, hey. I know in the past that really made me upset. Be careful. (laughs) You're probably going to get upset now. And just having that level of awareness, knowing that an emotion is probably on the horizon, gives you a lot more control over them. So once we establish our baseline, where do we go from there? Yeah, so establishing the baseline, recognizing that we will have deviations from the baseline. Now I think where it really matters is when we're able to do that in the moment in a difficult conversation. I think that's really what it comes down to because when people are asking me these questions, they're thinking back to specific instances where they didn't perform well in a difficult conversation because of those emotions. So we really need to become more aware in these conversations. And so one of the things that helps me is that I want to, in my preparations, also think about how I could potentially feel. So what are the things that could potentially come up in these conversations and what could be my potential emotional response to that. And then if, in fact, I do feel that specific emotional response, what do I do in the moment? And so we're going to talk about what to do at the table a little bit more in um, the, the third section. But I think really just getting to that level of awareness first is going to be the most important thing. I love that. Now let's talk about your second point, adjusting expectations. Tell me more about that. Yes. So when it comes to adjusting expectations, I think this is a little bit counterintuitive because 
when it comes to the idea behind positive thinking, a lot of times people say, all right, in this situation, if I'm going to be optimistic about it, I'm going to think that the strategies and tactics that I employ in this conversation will work and everything will go according to plan. That's my positive outlook on it. And I would like to change that a little bit. I wouldn't say I'm, I would suggest being pessimistic. I would just change our perspective of what optimism is in this scenario. So the way that I look at optimism as it relates to this is that when bad things happen, I have the skills to handle it and still get the outcome that I want. That's it. I think that's where the confidence comes from. So when it comes to adjusting my expectations, I'm not hoping that something bad doesn't happen, that everything goes well. The way that I see it, I know things are going to go against me or they're going to go in a way that I would prefer them not to go. But even when that happens, I'll be okay. And so going into these conversations, I'm expecting certain things to happen. And like I said before, I try to prepare and say, if this happens, then I will do this. Because when we're in these situations where we are emotional, when you think about it just in a scientific way, just thinking about the way the brain works, our system is going to be flooded with cortisol. Our amygdala is going to be going crazy. We might even get a little bit of a pump of uh, adrenaline going. When all of those things are happening, we are not thinking as clearly as we possibly could be. And so recognizing that I want to pre-think as much of this process as possible. So if a stimulus that could be problematic presents itself, I already know how I'm going to respond and how I'm going to recover. Does your company invest in professional development training? If you believe that your team would benefit from a negotiation workshop, all you need to do is go to our website, fill out the workshop request form, and then we'll set up a time to chat. These workshops are completely customizable and we've done them all around the country. Negotiation and conflict resolution skills are beneficial across all professions, but they're especially useful in procurement, purchasing, sales, sourcing, and contract management. Our calendar is filling up quickly and we even have some workshops scheduled for next year. If you think you might want one, I'd suggest reaching out soon so you don't miss out. Check out the link in the description to learn more. And now, back to the show. Hey, I'm Michael Kavnat, host of the Next Big Idea Daily. The show is a masterclass in better living from some of the smartest writers around. Every morning, Monday through Friday, we'll serve up a quick 10-minute lesson on how to strengthen your relationships, supercharge your creativity, boost your productivity, and more. Follow The Next Big Idea daily wherever you get your podcasts. From the minds of visionaries to the desks of disruptors, I'm Lars Schmidt, host of the Redefining Work podcast. Join me each week as we explore the new world of work through the lens of those shaping it. CEOs, HR leaders, investors, and more. Be a part of the conversation that changes everything. Subscribe to Redefining Work today. Absolutely. And I know that we talked a little bit before starting this recording about whether or not to include this. And I feel that's really important because I think a lot of times people go into a negotiation thinking about their position and what they quote unquote need out of it. So if you're wanting a certain dollar amount, people oftentimes go in and say, I need to get that or else. It's kind of a, an ultimatum. So being able to adjust your expectation and kind of see the alternatives around that can be very helpful in, in making it so that you don't fall apart if you get a no answer. 
So what are some things that people can do to kind of prepare? I know you, you mentioned preparing for an adjusting. What would be things that can help them prepare in a sense that they're adjusting their expectations? Yeah. So I think one thing that's important to do, and it's funny, this this is something I still do. I remember I had a tough negotiation last week, three and a half hours long. I would prefer that record to stand forever. <laughs> that wasn't great. But it went it went well. And I'll be honest, I was very nervous. And what's really interesting is that I've gotten more nervous before negotiations now than before. And it's because now I have a, a reputation to uphold. Oh, Mr. Negotiator, you travel the country? What do you got? So <laughs> I, I, there's a lot at stake for me now more than ever before. So I was representing a client and it, it was a tough one. And I'm just saying to myself, Kwame, you need to keep it together. <laughs> it's not just you, your, your client has a business. And so what I did is I used the guide. Think about the guides that I, I provide for free. If you go to AmericanNegotiationInstitute.com slash guide, you can get access to, what is it, like 20 different negotiation guides, a conflict resolution guide, a business negotiation guide, salary negotiation guide, car negotiation guide introvert negotiation guide. It's just ridiculous. And so I went through the whole guide. And then not only did I go through it myself, but I also went through it with my client. And my client said, this guide is brilliant. I am going to take it. I'm going to remove your logo. and I'm going to put mine on it. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm going to have my whole staff go through it. And it's so funny because as I was going through that guide, I could actually feel my level of emotionality going down. It was incredible. So preparing in a very systematic way helps. And to the specific question that you asked, when it comes to your ability to be flexible, when I went through the guide, part of it includes thinking about different options. What options are acceptable to you? So it helps me to be a lot more flexible and creative in the moment because I've prepared. Brilliant. I think you killed that one. Yeah. Oh, well, one last point about expectations. And and this is something I got. As a result of being a father, I tell you, Kai has taught me a lot about patience <laughs> and emotion management. And so I realized that sometimes a, a toddler will do things that frustrate you and they stress you out. And for me, I'm, I have long days. Sometimes I just want to relax on the weekends. Kai isn't feeling that. And he'll do things that will annoy me. And so I realized that when I was comparing my weekends before having Kai to my weekends with having Kai, I was thinking about it in a really negative way because I was saying, yeah, my previous weekends were me waking up, eating too much food, falling asleep, waking up and doing it again, <laughs> right? It was very relaxed. But now it's I have to stay on my toes and exert a lot of energy in order to be a good father. So what I decided to do was I just changed the perspective on what was going to happen. I say to myself in the morning, here's the game. Here's the challenge. You have to love Kai and be a good father the whole day. And during the day, he will probably at least three to five times, he will do something to annoy you and test your patience. You need to anticipate that. So when it comes, you're ready for it. Because before what I was doing is I would wake up and hope that nothing bad happened. Please just be well behaved all day long, Mr. Toddler. No. (laughs) Then I was disappointed every time he wasn't well behaved. So now I say, listen, he's not going to behave perfectly because he's three years old and that's okay. You have the skills to still make it a great day, even though these situations will present themselves. And just that simple mindset helped me to allocate energy in a more productive way 
to keep my head in the game throughout the day. So I've adopted that and brought it to my negotiations and my mediations. Listen, there are multiple things that will be annoying during this conversation. I will try to explain something and there will be some just reflexive resistance. And I anticipate that. And it helps me to be a lot more persistent with my positive approach in the negotiation. Fantastic. And for anybody that works with kids, I think, or has kids, there's a fantastic way to kind of test your emotions and how to manage them. Because I think working with kids, or if you have kids, it's a great way for practice because, you know, children are kind of the representations of overly emotional adults, whether it's you or somebody else. And I think it's just a fantastic way to kind of get that practice and feel more comfortable with it. So let's move on to our third point. Talk about at the table. What do you mean by that? So it's all well and good to talk about how you can gain more self-awareness in your everyday life and then also adjust your expectations before the conversation. But at the table, there, like I said, there are always going to be surprises. So how do you keep your cool when you're actually in the conversation? So the first thing, just we have to keep this very simple, slow down. We just need to slow down. And the uh, metaphor I like to use is you can't put the toothpaste back in the tube. Once you make certain types of mistakes, you can't <laughs> take those things back. It's like, you know what? You're a jerk. Wait, I didn't mean it. Like the damage has been done, right? And so what I want to do when things start to get heated is I slow things down. And I coach the uh, negotiations team at Ohio State, or I say I should say I'm a, an assistant coach at the uh, Ohio State University's law school's negotiation team. And when I observe their negotiations, I tell them, I can tell when you're frustrated. I can tell when you're mad because you start to go faster. You start to rapid fire arguments back and forth. And it's, it's really fun for me. You can tell from the practice sessions, I like messing with people. I like to intentionally kind of push their buttons to see how they respond. And usually across the board, it is with pace. They get faster and they get more argumentative and they stop asking questions because it is just the negotiator's version of the fight response. <laughs> now we're in a fight, right? And so what I like to do so it doesn't become an emotional tell is once the negotiation begins, I start to slow down my speech. Everything I say from the beginning is at this rate because the thing is, I want to make sure that if I do get emotional, they can't tell that my pace has changed, right? So that's my approach during the conversation because I want to make sure that I don't make a mistake, number one, and I don't want them to know, oh, I listened to Kwame's podcast <laughs> and he, he gets really slow when he's upset. No, I'm just going to be at this pace the whole time. Brilliant. Now, I am going to mention that you're probably going to have a listener that's going to squeeze out all the toothpaste and then try to stick it back in the <laughs> tube and be like, see, Kwame, that's a horrible analogy. I can put it back in. <laughs> but why is it important for us to slow down? How does that help manage emotions? Yeah, the it manages emotions on both sides. Because like I said, the, the natural tendency is to speed up if, if we are one who's prone to a fight response. And also the thing is that People notice that change in pace. Usually, if your pace gets faster, your voice is getting louder. And when you think about the role of mirror neurons in these conversations, it becomes clear how this can lead to a downward spiral. So a mirror neuron is something that's in your brain that is whose responsibility it is to reflect the emotions that are seen. So in my workshops, one of the, the most enjoyable exercises we do is we have people 
look at each other. <laughs> One person's role is to just have this big, goofy grin on their face. It's a big smile. And the other person's role is to try to keep a straight face. And you look each other directly in the eyes. And there was, there's only been one person. I've gone across the country. Only one person has maintained a straight face. And I said, hey, watch out for that guy. But yeah, that's, that's the role of mirror neurons. They just reflect the emotions, positive or negative. So if I start to have that response and I start to go faster and my voice gets louder, the person is going to interpret that as a threat and they are going to reciprocate with the same level of negative energy. And so then I see that and then I match their level of negativity and then it just becomes a downward spiral. So that's how slowing down helps to maintain control. Also, it gives you more time to think. When I'm going slowly, there are times when you start sentences and you don't know where the sentence is going to end. We've done that. It's, you know, suboptimal, but we've done that. And so if I slow down, I can correct course mid-sentence. It just gives me more flexibility in my approach. So it's very, very simple, and uh, but very powerful. And I think that leads into the next thing, which is taking a break, pausing. So as a lawyer, I have the benefit of saying, hey, I need to talk with my client out in the hallway. As a mediator, the same thing. I can tell people that we need to take a break and talk in the hallway. Sometimes if I'm talking to a client and, and we are in the middle of a negotiation, I'll say, hey, give me a second to chat with my client. Sometimes what we say is, what in the world is happening? Why are they acting like this? Right? We vent. Whatever. But the thing is, I take my time and I take that break so I can gather myself and go in based on the, in, the information that I've seen. So I'm taking that time to calm down, but also reassess my strategy and what I should do at the table. So it helps me to gather myself. Sometimes you don't have the opportunity to take a full true break. And so in those situations, what I would do is I would say, give me one second, I need to take some notes. And I'll take up to 10 or 15 seconds just writing notes, just summarizing what they say to give myself some more time. Another beautiful technique, and it's a, the, just the foundation of our approach when it comes to persuasion, is asking open-ended questions. Sometimes I'll take the time to summarize it and then ask an open-ended question that goes deeper into the topic that they just said. So that gives me time to calm down, and it also gives me more information. When it comes to this, asking questions, as always, if you're a listener of the show, you already know this. Asking questions, that's going to be your most powerful persuasive tool. It obviously has an offensive purpose because we get more information and we can use that as a tool to get people to look at things differently and persuade themselves. But it also has a defensive purpose because while they're talking, I can take the time to start to try to control my breathing and gather myself if I realize that I'm starting to go astray emotionally. And this really circles back to the self-awareness. I first need to recognize that I'm responding in an emotional fashion and slowing down helps me to do those those self-assessments as the conversation is going so I can say, oh, this is a deviation from my normal baseline. What do I need to do to get back? And then I do that thing slowly so I don't make a mistake. <laughs> I know nobody wants to hear to go slower. Everybody's trying to rush through. And unfortunately, sometimes that's what we got to do. So now what if... The other party is getting emotional. I know that a lot of times it's the emotion isn't necessarily coming from us, but the other party's emotions start to impact us and affect us. What are some things that we can do there? 
Yeah, so the answer to this is probably going to be a little bit frustrating because I think everybody wants that silver bullet, that one-liner that we just drop and then it's like, hey, Kwame, I said that one thing and everything went well. (laughs) There's no silver bullet. And so it's just like everything else. Hard work is the answer. And so here, what I would suggest is, in in my book, I talk about the compassionate curiosity framework. It is a simple three-part framework that we can use when the conversation gets emotional. Because at this point, when we see the specter of a negative emotion coming from the other side, we're not talking about substance. We're talking about a limbic response that is problematic, that prevents the other side from thinking clearly. So we need to address the emotion first before we move back into the substance. So the three-step process is first, acknowledge and validate emotions. Second, get curious with compassion. And third, engage in joint problem solving. And so the thing is, it's flexible. It's a flexible approach. So if there is no emotion, emotional issue, then you start with getting curious with compassion. You ask questions in a way that doesn't trigger a negative response. You have to be genuinely curious to know what's going on. But if we ever see that there's an emotional issue, then you cycle back to step number one, which is acknowledge and validate emotions. It seems like you're feeling blank. Or if I were in your position, I would feel this. And it makes sense because from your perspective, X, Y, Z. Is that correct? And so the first step, acknowledging the emotion, we're talking about what it is that we're seeing. And so we can say it seems like, it feels like, it looks like. And then when it comes to validation, we want to let them know that it makes sense that they might feel this way. We don't necessarily need to agree with their interpretation or the way they're acting, but there's a difference between validation and condoning behavior. We're not condoning behavior and we're not agreeing. We're just saying it makes sense. That's it. And people have a fundamental need to be understood. And especially in these conversations, they're not expecting you to actually listen and understand and empathize in that regard. And we can do that without giving up any ground in our negotiation, without compromising in a way that is inappropriate, and continuing to stay focused on our goals. But we need to address that emotion when it comes up. And if it keeps coming up, we maintain our form and keep on acknowledging that emotion. That is brilliant. And I'm holding myself back from diving more into the compassionate curiosity framework, because I know that could be an entire another podcast episode. But I wanted to make sure that we had time to touch on your bonus point. Yeah, the bonus point. And again, I saved this because a lot of people might say, oh, I tuned into this podcast and you're just going to tell me to meditate. Well, that's what I'm going to tell you. But I wanted to give you some substance that everybody could respect first. But I'll tell you, when it comes to managing your emotions in general, minimizing your baseline level of reactivity is important. That's what meditation does, or at least I should say one of the many benefits of meditation. But when it comes to emotion management, lowering your baseline level of reactivity is going to be critical. And so here's an example. I love tennis, and I probably mentioned this a few times on the podcast. And I remember in uh, June, the French Open was on and we moved to a new house and I was excited to watch my tennis and just veg out for a few hours. (laughs) And uh, the cable was out and the internet wasn't working and I couldn't access the tennis. I couldn't watch it. And so I remember Whitney came down and she says, hey, what are you doing? I was like, oh, I'm just kind of doing some work. The tennis isn't on. She said, the tennis isn't on? You seem really calm about that because she knows how important it is to me. But 
I said, okay, no, it's it's fine. I'll just move on and do it. Because now that I've been meditating, I have, I'm less reactive to negative stimuli, number one, and it increased my level of self-awareness too. So I see that spark coming. Uh-oh, this spark is about to set my world ablaze right now. But now I can identify it sooner and take control of it. So meditation has been huge for me. I am a 100% supporter of meditation, but I, I know it's not everybody's cup of tea but some people might want to kind of use it in the moment. What are some things that they can do in the moment that isn't just like, you know, 45 minutes of breathing? Oh my gosh, I don't, I can't do 45 minutes. (laughs) (laughs) My meditation routine is just nine breaths, nine breaths in the morning, nine breaths in the evening, and all done while focusing on something that I enjoyed, something positive. So it's not just a general meditation, it's a positivity meditation. So I write in my gratitude journal, then I visualize that thing, and I take nine deep breaths, because I realize that's my limit. And I do that in the morning and in the evening. But actually in the moment, in a conversation, I try to focus on my breathing. The technique I use is progressive muscle relaxation. And so I remember when I started to really get a better understanding of this was in yoga, where they would say you should relax into the stretch. Every breath, you should try to relax even more. And I was thinking to myself, how in the world do you want me to relax when I am in so much pain, right? But I started to understand it. I didn't even know that was a possibility to relax into a stretch. I thought I was supposed to be tense and just pull. But learning to relax with every breath has been helpful. And I've taken that and transitioned it into my role in mediation and as an advocate as an attorney. When the conversation gets tough, I recognize, hey, I'm starting to get tense. Now I'm going to slow down my breathing. And then with every breath, I'm going to become more relaxed. Because as I started to meditate and do yoga, I realized that for me, I carry my tension in my shoulders and in my chest. And so I focus predominantly on those areas and try to relax them with every single breath I take. And just that focus on my breathing and on calming down physically, removing that tension from my chest and shoulders, takes my mind off of the thing that has made me furious. (laughs) And since I'm not focusing on that as much, it helps me to regulate my emotions at a higher level. That is brilliant. I think one of the things, you know, in nursing, particularly in like psych nursing and in mental health, you know, that's areas where people are highly emotional and progressive muscle relaxation is one of the biggest tools that they use to help people calm down to kind of do that inward reflection and slow down and kind of pause. And, you know, if you're in a meeting and you can't really pause, like we teach it, you start at your toes, you curl those, you tense those, you relax them. Then like you tense your calves or your legs and then relax them and getting all the way up to the head. And I know like in a meeting, you can't necessarily do that, but you can still do like the lower half. Like you can tighten your toes all the way up till you can't tighten them anymore and then relax them. So those are just some really easy things to do to kind of reflect inward and disrupt that emotional hamster wheel. Yeah, no, I agree. I think that's brilliant. I think that's really smart. And the thing I like about that suggestion is that it's something that's imperceptible to the other side. That's the goal. You don't want to do something that is a a tell where they say, oh, this person's freaking out (laughs) right now, right? But if you're starting with your toes, most likely that's not something that can be seen. So I I really like that. 
Fantastic. Well, Kwame, we could talk for hours about this, or at least I can, being the mental health psych nurse background that I have. And I know that you have your background in psychology, but I know that we are at time. Is there anything else you want our listeners to know? Yeah, I want them to know that there's an awesome new podcast on the horizon. It is called... Ask with Confidence. And it's going to launch... October. (laughs) (laughs) And the idea is to have... First week of October start date, but that is subject to adjusting. Yep. So we'll keep you posted. So keep your eyes out for that. But thank you for taking over this show. It's nice to be interviewed and I am looking forward to being a listener of your show. Thanks, listeners. We'll catch you in the next one. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode. If you're liking what you're hearing, please leave a review and subscribe and tell your friends. Our goal is to help as many people as possible. And when you leave reviews, it makes it easier for people to find us in the searches. Thanks again for being a listener. I'll catch you in the next one.